Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living. Amen. Can you give the Lord a hand as you're seated this morning? Great to see you this morning. Man, I'm glad you're here. How many were excited that it was sunny last couple days? Any of you? Yeah. Only in, only in Michigan, in the middle of June, do you celebrate you finally had a sunny day. I mean, that, that's just crazy. Hey, look to somebody next to you and say, I'm really glad you're here, even though it's sunny outside. Do that, would you? I'm glad you're here, even though it's sunny outside. I am glad you're here. If you have your Bibles, would you take them and turn to Luke chapter 15. We're going to be headquartered there today. Um, in fact, I, I tell you what, I think this is the third time over the last three years I've looked at this passage, but every time I look at it, it's like the Lord teaches me a different aspect that I need to understand for my spiritual journey, and we're going to be headed there today as we talk about the bridge home. Um, man, it's amazing. We, uh, we, we have uh, just, we're in that season. We're in that season of celebration of kids, and I, I, I love the story of the little girl went to um, her dad and said, hey, daddy, um, where did all these people come from? And dad was, you know, he was an evolutionist. And so he said, well, honey, I want you to know that there were fish in the sea. And eventually the fish got kind of like legs and they were able to crawl into the mud. And they developed into monkeys. And then we come from the monkeys. That just didn't sound right to her. That sounds weird. And so she goes to her mom. She goes, mommy, where did all these people come from? Mommy says, oh, honey. God has an incredible love for us. He created this incredible world, and he created uh, the first man, his name is Adam, and put him in a, a garden. It was a wonderful garden, but he was all by himself. And so he, he made the first woman. Her name was Eve, and the two of them loved each other, and they began to have children, and that's where all the people in the world come from. The little girl looked and said, well, Mommy, that's not what Daddy said. Daddy said we all come from the monkeys. She goes, oh, sweetie, that's Dad's side of the family. <laughs> Kids, kids say stuff, right? I mean, kids, they say things that we probably all thought, but we just, you know, we know better than to say. And then we're in that season. Um, Wesley is, uh, has graduated. We had his open house last week. And a few tears, you know, fall when that happens. And, and we were at another one yesterday for the Henrys, and I kept giving Mike and Lisa a hard time, saying, hey, Lisa, how you doing? A little bit of tears. And some of you, in fact, there's some today. I think we got, we have about 18, I think we were invited to, and, and uh, lots of those. And, and, uh, and then, you know, we are, we have, I don't know if I told you this, we have a grandchild now, and, and uh, I'm, a, I'm a grandpa, and Jackson, and this week, we got video that Jackson crawled, right? He, he gets, he pushed himself up, he crawled crashed and burned, got himself back up, and, and he, man, it's exciting to see our kids, and kids can be, in fact, relationships in general can be the source of some of the greatest joy, but it can, add, it can be the source of some of the greatest heartache, because when we have someone we love, whether it be a parent or a sibling, could even be a spouse, might be a child, might be a close friend, when that person is um, drifting far from the Lord, it becomes a heartache, and it's like the deeper you love that person, the more the heartache is when they're not where God wants them to be. Now, I'm going to take you on a journey today out of Luke chapter 15. It's a very familiar parable, and it's actually part three of a three-part parable that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus actually tells three parts to a similar story when he talks about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then the lost child, or the prodigal child, as many would see that. 
But all of it is to communicate the heart of God for the lost. Now, whenever you read parables, generally there is one primary big idea that, that Jesus is trying to get across. But there are a lot of other things you learn from it. And so what we're going to do today is we're not going to focus quite as much on the main point. And I would tell you that the main point is the heart of God for those that are lost. God celebrates those who are lost who are found. Those who were far from him who come close to him. When people make spiritual, God has a heart for those who are not near to him. But it's interesting because when you look at the other two characters in the story, you've got the older brother and then you've got the younger brother. You learn things as you look at them as well. And as I was, a couple of weeks ago, as I was focusing on this passage, it's really interesting because the Lord began to speak to me about this whole thing of bridges. In fact, we've been in this series called Bridges, and it was just simply this, the bridge home. And they're the different bridges that God uses in people's lives. What does it say? Uh, 2 Samuel 14, 14. You can look it up later. But it says, like water that has spilled on the ground, so we all must die. But God devises plans so that those that are estranged from him will no longer be distant. God devises plans to bring people into relationship with him. I love that. God doesn't just say, just let it go. God says, I'm going to pursue that person. And there are four common bridges that oftentimes God uses in our lives. So let's take the, the, the passage and let's take a look at it. And uh, let's make those applications today. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Here's what it says. Jesus continued... There was a man who had two sons, and the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, and he set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went... And he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Now, I got to tell you, every time, ever since I was a kid, every time I read this passage, I get a very vivid picture. Because um, on our farm, we had, a, we had a tiny farm. And we had a small barn. We had small uh, places for the pigs. We had small tractors. I mean, we, we just had small equipment. But we, we did quite a bit of that. And my dad always farmed in the evenings. He worked a full-time job, then farmed on the weekends and evenings. And my job was to take care of the pigs. Now, we used to have a hog house where we had more pigs. But when I came along, we had one little area that we kept the pigs. They had their own little shelter. And you could have about 11 or 12 pigs. That's about all you could have because we just raised them to eat and to send to market. It was just a little bit. We had about 12 steers and we had some other stuff too. But pretty much that's what was my responsibility. And every week, I had to go out with those pigs. And I, my job was to clean off the uh, uh, clean off the manure off of the concrete area. And by the way, people talk about that pigs are clean. They do say that. They say they're like one of the cleanest animals. Hey, I don't know if you've ever smelled a pig. I don't care what you do. They don't seem very clean to me, but that, that's just me. That's my background. And then one of my jobs was to make sure they had plenty of water 
And then I also had to make sure, because there was no natural water tank there, so I had to make sure every day they had water. And then I had to make sure that I put feed in for them to eat. And generally speaking, we gave them corn that was ground, because that's how we uh, provided for them. But then during season, my mom, if we were doing watermelons or cantaloupe or anything like that, we'd throw rinds in there. I mean, anything that was, and that'd be called slop, right? Give them to the pigs, and they thought it was just a feast. They went after that thing. Now, I just, the reason I tell you this is that <clears throat> I like food, but I have never been tempted to take anything out of the slop. And so when I think of this, as a kid, I'm thinking, how hungry must you be to long for that? Because that didn't look tempting to me at all. Here's what it says. It says, um, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out, I'll go back to my father, I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion and he ran to his son, and some of you know this translation because we dissected this a few years ago, and he threw his arms around him and kissed him fervently over and over. That's what the word means for kissed in that passage. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. So they began to celebrate. Now as I look at that passage, it's really interesting how there were four common bridges that just jumped out at me on how God tends to bring people who are far away near him again. And the first bridge that I notice are life events. God uses life events, life circumstances, and by the way, these can be positive things and they can be negative things, but it's amazing how God uses the circumstances of life to bring us to a point where we come back to him. Now it's interesting because if you look at this passage, it says that not long after the younger son got all that he had together and he sent off for a distant country. Now what's happening here is a life event which is a brokenness in his relationship with his father. And let me tell you, the betrayal is deep. You notice that he asked his dad for the inheritance. Now, I'm not saying that's completely um, unusual in this particular day because it wouldn't be unusual for parents to kind of pre-give the inheritance to their children. What was unusual is that the child was not honoring the parent by taking care of them. Um, let me explain this. Uh, there are two brothers. The older brother, by virtue of being the oldest, gets a double portion, so he would get twice as much. If you have five kids, oldest one gets a double portion. So you divide it into six parts, oldest child will get the two parts. But it's interesting because the intention of giving your children their inheritance before you pass away, it's understood culturally that that child will then use those resources to take care of you in your old age. 
So when this kid takes off, he's thumbing his nose at his dad. And he says, you know what? Forget you, dad. You're on your own. I know you gave me your resources, but you can fend for yourself. Now, this is not that unusual for me to understand because, again, of my background. Uh, I was literally just telling somebody this this last week. I don't even remember the conversation or how we got into it, but I was telling them about, about where I grew up. My dad grew up on a farm that was my grandma and grandpa's farm. And in the Amish background... It is not unusual at all for you to be traveling through wherever you're at and for there to be multiple houses on the same piece of property. Because here's what happened. Grandma and Grandpa, my Grandpa Amos, uh, when Grandma and Grandpa had all their children and the children began to leave the roost and the house got a little bit smaller, they actually gave that house to my Uncle Joe and his wife and they began to have their children, and that house began to fill up. By the way, it's a big house. Grandma and Grandpa went right across the lane. I mean, it's not 50 yards. And they built a smaller house. We called it a Dottie house, and that's what they're called, or the Grandpa house. Grandma and Grandpa moved into that house, and then as Joe and Katie had their family, that's the one we mostly knew there when I was growing up, that house got filled up with kids, kids began to leave the nest, and when Joe and Katie, when they, kids began to leave, they then had another house that was built. And it's really interesting because, I'll be honest, I don't know who lives in that house right now. Because my cousin Dave at one time, I think was in that house, but now his kids are all leaving the house. And so what you have on this farm in northern Indiana, right on uh, 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 Plymouth Goshen Trail, is you go down there, you're going to see this long lane, and there are three houses on the same farm. It's understood in that culture that you're going to care for the parents as they get older. Now, you may not like that. In fact, some of you that are parents that are here going, eh, there ain't no way I'm living with my kids, you know. Uh, and there's other ones going, nah, knowing how my kid feels about me, they are not taking care of me. <laughs> there is no way, you know. But, but the fact is, that's pretty normal. So I get this picture. Because this was a kid that was severing relationship. And it's amazing how many times broken relationships or even distance is a life event that God uses to bring loneliness into a person's life. You also notice in this passage, he made foolish financial decisions. It says that he spent everything that he had, and oh, by the way, after he spent everything he had, and by the, in, in foolish ways, by the way, then there was an economic downturn. So he spent everything he had, then there was the economic downturn, and then there was a famine in the entire land. Now, can I just ask this question? I want you to be honest here. How many, um, how many of you have ever paid too much for something? Raise your hand. Keep it up. How many of you, because you paid too much for something, the next time you went to buy that something, you tried to pay a little bit less? Most of the people in this room have paid too much for a car or bought a car too quickly or bought a house. By the way, I'll just tell you right now, if I were to buy a house today, the very first thing I would do is go in and turn on the shower. First thing I would do. You know why? Because my first house had a lousy shower. The second thing I would do is look underneath the sink and see if there's any critter living underneath there. You know why? 
Okay, nothing was living, but it could have been. I mean, we replaced everything in that house from the floor up. I mean, we spent tons of time and money on plumbing in that first house. I learned. We all learn, right? And I've got a new phrase that I've been using for the last couple of years, whether it be with my kids or whatever. We all pay for our education. And I'm going to tell you, a lot of times your education is not college. We all pay for our education. So what do we do as parents? We try to guard our kids and bail, oftentimes bail them out. But the problem is, if they didn't learn from that, the next time they're still going to pay too much. So the goal I have is that we all pay for our education. My prayer is that we don't pay too much. And it's not financial. It means we all make decisions in life. We all want to protect in our life. But the fact is we all learn in life. By the way, other ways that you see in this passage, you understand he made poor financial decisions. He had relational breakup. We can learn, by the way, we, we learn in life ex uh, when we have children, right? Children, when children come into the life, it changes our life. There's a lot of things. He had a bad boss. He had an unfair boss. And so that was a life experience. And isn't it interesting how all of those life experiences we think are negative, and they might be, but it's amazing how God uses those things in people's lives, whether it's a health scare, whether it's a desperation, whether it's a broken relationship, whether it's a financial need. God uses those life events as a bridge to bring a person to a point where they're willing to come to him. Life events. By the way, the one I think of the most in Scripture, Jonah and the whale. God used a storm and God used a whale swallowing it up. Now, I'm, you guys have probably been in all kinds of things. I'm guessing none of you have ever been swallowed by a whale, right? Might have been in a storm. God uses that to bring us home. God brings, it, it, I mean, I can name hundreds of situations that God uses for us. Number two, desperation. God brings us to points of desperation. You'll notice in this passage, it says that he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. It says in verse 17, I am starving to death. Desperation, oftentimes, by the way, has, we have no choice about it. It just happens. Desperation is coming to a point in life where you simply do not have the resources the knowledge or the power to know how to navigate it in your own strength. And it's interesting because desperate places don't just happen to those that are far from the Lord. Desperate places come when we're in our walk with Christ. You know, oftentimes we think God hates us because we come to a desperate place. But isn't it interesting how in the desperate places, again, whether it's relational, financial, it might be unfair attacks, it might be unfair situations, it can be an unfair boss. It doesn't matter what it is in our life, but God says, in those places of desperation, I really, I really want you to come to the end of your strength so that you'll come to number three, and that's brokenness. And brokenness is not the same as desperation. Brokenness is in response to desperation. I, I wrote out a paragraph for you that I, I took enough time to do that I want to go ahead and read it to you. And it simply says this. You may think that brokenness and desperation are the same thing, but I would say they are the flip side of the same coin. 
we often have no choice in desperation. It's the condition of the heart when it realizes we can't fix what's broken in our life. Brokenness is a heart response to desperation. It's giving up the fight and is finally willing to humble ourselves enough to ask God to meet our need. Now watch how that happens in this passage. It says, when he came to his senses. Say that with me, would you? When he came to his senses. Which, by the way, the inference there is, is that before this time, he was not living by his senses. It's like he was walking in a fog and he was running. And life events happened to bring points of desperation and the point of desperation is like shaking him out of a path that was going to destroy his life. And it brought him to a point of brokenness where he was willing to humble himself. You know what is so interesting in scripture is that people so often talk about brokenness as being something that's horrible. And yet it is a beautiful thing because Jesus says, Blessed are those who mourn and weep because they'll be comforted. Blessed are those who have what? Mourning and weeping. Mourning means at the point of despair because God knows how to minister to that person. It says, Blessed are those who are, it says, hunger and thirst. The word hunger means to be at the point of starvation because he says, When you're that hungry for God you'll be filled he says blessed are those who what humble themselves God says he opposes the proud the word means that he puts himself up and he stands against the proud but he says but he gives grace to the humble therefore Peter says humble yourself under God's mighty hand that he might lift you up in due time you see, we look at this as being a horrific situation, and yet I would look at this and say, this is a redemptive story. This is how the heart of God is looking and pursuing people, and he says, the greatest thing in your life is for you to be near me, to be home in your relationship with me, and so whether it be life events, or whether it be a point of desperation, or whether it be a point of brokenness, I want you to know that when you come to the end of your rope, I'm going to be there to catch you. My, how this changes how we pray for people. One of the hardest things as a parent to ever do would be to pray for desperation in my kid's life. I would never want to do that. One of the hardest things, if I have a close friend, would be to pray for a desperate situation. One of the hardest things, if I were praying for my parents or my, my siblings, but can I just tell you, that desperation is like the tilling of the soil and then brokenness is like the water that comes on the ground. Unless it's this season, now we're asking for the sun to shine, right? But get the point here. It's like the rain that falls on the ground that nourishes that fresh fertile soil. That's what God uses in our lives to bring about birth and growth and change. And so as I begin to intercede and pray, Lord, use the life events Bring points of desperation. Father, I'm praying. I have a, I have a young uh, person, a man that I've been praying for for years. And I, over the last number of years, have not prayed for him as consistently because he's in a good place with the Lord. But I remember for a number of years, 
I would consistently pray for him, and it was always, I, have, I have several places in my yard where I pray for different people. I don't know why. I have no idea. Uh, I have families in our church. I don't know why. Maybe I was just thinking about it, so every time I mow that place, I think of them. So I pray for them. Right? It's just what I do. And um, <clears throat> every time I, I'm praying, I often would pray for this young man. And here's how I would pray for him. Lord, I'm praying that you would bring him to a point of humbling himself so that you don't have to humble him. Help him to stay in a place where he's dependent on you so, Lord, you don't have to do that. Because I'm just going to tell you, I have found in my life that when the Lord humbles me, it never is fun. But I find that when I humble myself, the Lord is always there to lift me up. Let me give you the last one. I would call them promises sown. It's interesting how in our lives, the, the promises that get sown in our life before a time of drifting, how those promises are oftentimes the very things that invite us to come near again. Uh, look what it says in this passage as you describe the homecoming. He says, I'm going to get up, I'm going to go to my dad, and I'm going I'm to humble myself. So it says, so he got up, verse 20, he got up and he went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him fervently over and over again. And as I read that, I thought to myself, this is not the first time that dad showed him compassion. It's amazing the unconditional love that we sow into these relationships. That that is a seed that gets sown. And they know that when they come back again, there'll still be love there. See, I, I believe with all my heart, this dad, this dad didn't just all of a sudden start loving his kid when his kid left. This dad was sowing the seeds of love into his life, his entire life. And I think, I think even though he was in a desperate place, there's a reason he thought of home. And I don't think it's because it was because of the food. I think he thought of home because he knew, I think he intrinsically understood that if I go home, dad's going to be looking for me again. By the way, just so you know, the father in this story is the heavenly father. But what a great challenge to us as parents and as friends, as siblings. In fact, you know something else that's interesting? There was something in him, there was a promise that was sown that he could be vulnerable in a safe place going home. He was going to be able to go home and he was not going to be trashed into the ground by his dad. Now it's interesting because if you look at the older brother and the dad, they respond completely differently. And I think it's because the dad was already preparing before the son ever came home. He was already preparing himself for the return. We know it for sure because he was looking for him, right? He was looking out. He was, was watching for him. But it wasn't just that. You know, sometimes we beg for people to come home, and then we've not prepared ourselves with the emotional angst that we're going to face when we see him again. And so he was already forgiving him. He was already preparing his heart. He was already praying for him. The brother, the brother never even, you can see by the brother's response, he's upset. 
He has, there is no way he wants that guy back into his life again. And so some of the times when we're praying for people, we need to prepare our own heart that you know what, if the Lord brings them back again, how are we going to receive them? You'll also notice, and there's, these are some seeds that were sown, it's the power, and it's not necessarily from this passage, but it's the power of friendships. Um, a guy by the last name of, uh, of uh, Bissett, um, gosh, I can't think of his name. Uh, Tony, I think it's Tony. I think Tony was his name. Um, he wrote a book several years ago um, called Why Kids Leave the Faith. And he does this whole book on why kids leave the faith. But he actually does some quick teachings on why kids return. And do you know the number one reason that those who have been far from the Lord, and by the way, kids doesn't have to be an 18-year-old or 20-year-old, can be an 80-year-old. The number one reason that people who have drifted from the Lord come back into a close relationship with him, number one, it's a godly friend. It's a godly friend. Uh, one of the parents I was talking to here uh, was telling me about how her daughter had already uh, gotten her two roommates. Uh, I think, I can't remember which college she's going to. I think it's, I think it's central, but I'm not positive. And uh, she had said she already found out who her roommates are and they'd already been corresponding with one another. And she said it was so cool because one of the girls um, contacted the other girls, and be her daughter, and said, um, by any chance are either of you religious? And so the girl who comes to our church said, well, yeah, I go to a church and I'm, I'm a Christian. And the girl said, oh, that is so exciting. Is there any chance you'd like to go to a Bible study that my older sister is leading here at the, at the, on campus when you come to campus next fall? I'm going to go to it. I'd love it if you'd go with me. And man, I tell you what, the mom and I were high five, and I'm like, mom, that doesn't make you excited at all. Oh, it's incredible. It's great, great. And so, so get this. We might not be in a position to make the influence into people's lives, but if we believe in divine appointments, if you've ever been impacted by a divine appointment with a coworker, or maybe it was coming into a church, or, or maybe it was in a Walmart or whatever, if you've ever had people speak into your life, then what makes you think God doesn't have those same divine appointments that he can create in other spots? So beginning to pray in that manner. The Word of God. The Word of God getting sown. I was looking down here. I think we got quizzers here. Do we have quizzers? You guys are quizzers, right? Hey, our quiz team. Hey, if, you're on the, if you were on the quiz team this year or if you were a coach, I realize they may or may not be in this service. Can you just stand up real quick? Do that real quick. Yeah, that's great. They, uh, you guys took, I, I was going to say something, I didn't get a chance last week. You took second place at International, uh, and then your, the rookie team took second place too. So both of you took second place, um, and I'm trying to think who the coaches are. We got Jim, uh, Tim McCullough, uh, Chad, your dad, Chad is in there, um, Rachel Henyon is a coach, uh, I think Jennifer Bacana was a coach. Uh, and what they do is they sow the Word of God, they, they compete by, by learning the Word of God, and then they compete against one another answering questions. If you've never seen it, it's really cool. And Tammy, you were a quizzer. Um, I don't know what I was. I don't think I was a quizzer. Our kids quiz, I don't think I was. I, th I might have gone and watched, but I don't think I ever was, because it wasn't, it wasn't in my church growing up. Really cool thing. You know what, when the Word of God gets sown... There's a reason God's word says that uh, his word will not return void. It gets sown 
And in a time of life event or a time of desperation or in a time of brokenness, that word, it's like a spotlight that says, hey, come on home. We've got to wrap it up. Can I share a couple just quick promises with you? Because I, I understand some of you are here this morning and you feel like there's a spotlight on you. You feel very awkward. In fact, I know what you're doing right now. You're saying, did somebody tell you I was going to be here today? And uh, actually, they did. Um, the Lord put it on my heart, and uh, he knows right where you're at. Can I just encourage you, if you're in a desperate place today, that desperation is not God's punishment. That's his, that's his invitation. Deuteronomy 8 is a really interesting passage. Um, Moses, as he's delivering God's word to the people, says that the Lord led you in the wilderness for 40 years to humble you. And it says he caused you to hunger and then he fed you with manna so that you would understand that man does not live by bread alone. Now, you may not like that passage, but what an incredible passage. Because what it says is, is that I love you so much that I may create some opportunity in your life for hunger, but I'll never leave you hungry. I'll always want to be the one who will fulfill that hunger in your life if you just come to me. So can I promise you today that if you feel like you're in a desperate place, God, God doesn't hate you. And he is not punishing you. He's inviting you. Number two, if this really is the picture of the Heavenly Father, then I guarantee that God is always watching, longing, and ready for you to come home again. It's never the wrong time. Which leads us to the third one. Coming home always involves a decision followed by a first step. I think we get, so, we get so overwhelmed when we think about, man, I'm so far from the Lord. I could, can I tell you, home is not about a distance, it's a direction. And, and we think we're so far away. And what it is, is we're not, we're not as far away as you think we are. It's that you're going the wrong direction. And so when you turn, the word repent means to turn. When you turn toward the Lord, it's amazing how quickly he restores that. And so if you're praying for someone today, as hard as it may be, perhaps pray for the desperate places. And if you're in a desperate place today, what does it say? You are as close to the Lord today as you choose to be. Today, make a choice. And say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'd like to come home. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your word. And Holy Spirit, I thank you that um, 
you are far more persuasive than what I could ever be. And so, Lord, I, I would really pray that today would not be so much about people hearing me as simply being, uh, people being obedient to you. I want to speak to the one right now and just pray with the one who's saying, Lord, I'm desperate. And Lord, I don't know if it's because they're far from you. I don't know if it's because they're just in a hard place in life. I mean, I, there's a lot of us. Even in our Christian walk, we go through those places. But here, here's what I know. You never want to waste that spot. You want me to come near. And so, Lord, I just desperately want to reach out for you this morning. The image of that passage was a father who embraced and kissed fervently. Lord, would you just embrace me as I reach out to you this morning? I don't know why. I'm just right now, I'm opening my arms up. Maybe right where you're at. You just want to say, Lord, I need you. What was that, what was that song we sang? Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. I'm desperate for you, Lord. And I promise you, he'll never leave you hanging. He will never turn you away. If you'd like someone to pray about this, we have our prayer partners who are going to be up here, and they will not turn you away. We would love to pray with you. Remember, the Lord devises ways for those that are estranged from Him to come near again. And if He's tapping on your shoulder, it's your moment. Today your heart may be broken for someone. A son or a daughter, a spouse, might even be a former spouse. I mean, you can be in a broken relationship and still have a heartbeat and a desire for that person to come to the Lord. It might be your parents or sibling or a close friend. Lord, if you're calling us to be that friend who will reach out to them, Give us the strength to be obedient. But until that time, Lord, we're going to be watching and ready, interceding on their behalf. This stuff's too important. This is not about new or old cars. This is about an eternity. This is about a relationship with the living God. And if our heart's not broken for them, Lord, let them break our hearts and go after them, pursue them. Have mercy on them, Lord. Be gentle, but do whatever's necessary to bring them. Bring them to you. To you. And we'd love to pray with you for maybe those needs too, if you want to come. I had, had two ladies come up to me last night, and they just had a broken heart for two people, and we just spent time praying for them. Lord, you are the master of divine encounters. And we celebrate you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living.